have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. Are you curious about ethical non-monogamy? Or are you already in some form of a non-monogamous relationship? Do you want to know more about polyamory and what it takes to have a healthy polyamorous relationship, especially if you've only been in monogamous relationships before? There are lots of different kinds of non-monogamy, and the important thing to remember is that there's no one right way to do it, just like there's no one right way to be monogamous. But there are some important tips to help you and your partner or partners find a healthy recipe that works for all of you. So lately, I've been getting a lot of questions from you and keep doing that. I love hearing from you. And the questions are all about how to go from being monogamous to being polyamorous. And it could seem like quite a jump in terms of your mindset and your lifestyle. And being in any kind of relationship in general is challenging, but this is extra true for people who are interested in transitioning from monogamy to polyamory. So to help us out, I invited Jessica Fern on my show today. Jessica is a psychotherapist, coach, and national speaker, and she specializes in non-monogamous relationships. I had the pleasure of attending her presentation recently at Southwest Love Fest down in Arizona, and I loved her insights and strategies about how to go from monogamy to polyamory. But before we start our chat today with Jessica about how you can make that transition in your own relationship, I want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships, where you'll get access to a massive international network and dating platform of over 3 million members worldwide. Use my special promo code 7070 to get two months free at SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. So just to give you some background about my special guest today, Jessica holds a master's in conflict resolution, focusing on somatic narrative therapy, emotional trigger work, internal family systems, and attachment and trauma therapy. She also works with individuals, couples, and polycules who no longer want to be limited by their reactive relational patterns, cultural conditioning, internalized stories, emotional triggers, insecure attachment styles, and past pains, so that they can embody new possibilities in life and love. And that is why she's here. (laughs) Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on my show today. Yes, thank you for having me, Lexi. It's so nice to see you again. It was really, really fun meeting you in Arizona and uh, definitely felt like a a good kinship going. So I like that word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit first before we get started with the really like the nitty gritty of talking about how we're, how somebody could go from a monogamous lifestyle to a polyamorous lifestyle. And if you don't mind me asking, have you always been in a non-monogamous relationship? Not always. I was, well, I've been poly for years now, but that came out of a monogamous marriage where we were monogamous for years together and then did the transition. Um, and then before that, there were periods of time where I identified as being non-monogamous, but not totally poly. So I've okay. taste of all of them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So you have a professional and personal experience to help guide us in our conversation today. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whenever you're in a relationship, you, you need to have skills to be able to handle pretty much whatever comes at you, your day-to-day, uh, managing conflict. 
what kind of skills do people need to have a successful polyamorous relationship? Are they about the same that you would have in any other kind of non-monogamous relationship? Or are they kind of different? That's a great question. I mean, a lot of them are the same. They're just more important or it okay. becomes almost impossible without them being there. You know, so the common ones would be conflict resolution skills, communication skills, time management becomes a big one. <laughs> but I think the more like nuanced ones I see are um, really having the skill of introspection, which is like I can tune into myself and identify what I'm feeling and needing, and then I can articulate that to my partner or partners. Hmm. That's a big one that I see that we need because it becomes really difficult to do these multiple relationships if we're not in touch with this self-knowledge. That's definitely a good skill that I think could be applied in any kind of relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Similar attunement is a big one that any relationship is needs and is going to benefit from, but being able to not just tune into self, but attunement would be like tuning into the partner. Oh, okay. Yeah. So being, I guess, um, receptive on both ends to what's going on inside you and also what your partners are feeling and thinking. Exactly. And I think a lot of people, it's like a learning growth, you know, stretch marks that happen of how do I attend <laughs> to multiple people at the same time? Right. You know, that same transition when someone goes from having one kid to two, they say it's not double, it's like three times as much. <laughs> um, and so in the same way, how do I attend to more than one person at the same time? And that's definitely a challenge, right? Because you're <laughs> every relationship that you might have when you're in a non-monogamous relationship or a poly relationship or poly relationships in general, um, you basically might have a partner where you have to use different skills uh, with one versus others. You might have different levels of attunement uh, with either one of them. It's definitely not easy. Uh, I mean, one relationship is hard enough, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really feel like the ability to uh, to know yourself and to and to be able to bring, like you said before, introspection, to bring that introspection into any of those relationships to really decipher um, what it is that you want and what you're hoping to also maybe expect from your partners in terms of how they're going to um I guess, uh, receive you. Yeah. So what's the difference between polyamory as an orientation versus a lifestyle? I remember you talked about this during your presentation. I thought it was really, really insightful. Great. Yeah. Well, I think there's this debate of, is it a lifestyle choice or is it a, an orientation? And I see it as both. I see it as existing on a spectrum you know, where you might have monogamy on one side and poly on the other. And people who are on the far end tend to describe it as an orientation. Like when you hear them say, this is sort of how I'm wired. This is what feels like the truest, most authentic me. And it, to them on the far end, it doesn't feel so much like a choice. It's just who they are. But then there's a lot of folks in the middle who... You know, they're doing polyamory or non-monogamy because they connect with it philosophically or because they enjoy certain aspects of it at certain times in their life. So it might come and go depending on their partner or depending on like what life phase they're in. So if let's say I'm poly 
by orientation. So I feel and have always felt, for example, that um, for me, this is this is me. This is who I am. This is how I'm like you said, like how I'm wired. But my partner is not. Okay. And they're more maybe, uh, well, I mean, one of my partners, let's say, are are more lifestyle. So they, they, you know, like the idea of being in a polyamorous relationship. Maybe they don't identify with uh, being poly the same way I do. I know this is a common thing. How can you resolve that? Is that even possible? That must be more challenging with two people who are a bit different. It is challenging. I find this pairing, it's not impossible, but it does have specific challenges. And so first I find it's just helpful for people to identify, like, where are you on the spectrum? And I do want to be clear, I don't think any of the spots on the spectrum are totally static. Right. I've even seen people who have said they started as out as poly as lifestyle, but then as they built their life so much, it eventually felt like an orientation that they couldn't ever undo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, especially I hear that from people who are solo poly because there's so much about crafting their life in a specific way that supports them. And they're like, I couldn't go back to, to the other way. Hmm. Yeah, but that pairing, to come back to your question, um, yeah, there's a lot of nuance in it. And I think just first understanding that the differences in maybe pacing or desire that the two of you are having or what it feels like internally are not because of a lack of love for each other or a deficiency in one or the other, but just because of you're in a different position on the spectrum. So when you say pacing, you might mean something like one partner might have to slow down some of their expectations or some of their practices in order to make their other partner feel more comfortable? Pacing, like usually, if especially if we're talking about people opening up from monogamy to poly, right? And you have one partner who realizes that their orientation in the same way when someone realizes, oh, wow, I'm not straight. And there's a coming out process. Yes. <laughs> usually they're the person that has this way faster pace because it's like, here's who I am. I'm finally realizing it. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get started. You know, I'm ready to have love or more sex or whatever you know, they're wanting to experience and the, you know, Polly is lifestyle partner. They don't have that same zeal when it's orientation, right? They might be like, yeah, let's do this. But it isn't this like in deep internal desire in the same way. So they don't usually have as fast of a pace, right? Well, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's, I mean, <laughs> it's challenging enough to go from monogamy to polyamory, but for one partner to to say that, you know, this is who I've always been, finally I'm free, I can express myself the way I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to be like this, and now finally I can do it. And the other partner's like, whoa, I'm not there yet. Um, hold the phone, let's take a minute and figure out how we're going to make this work that can probably lead to some kind of uh, frustration uh, for one and both, actually. Usually both, right? Because the person who's more lifestyle, who's like, whoa, this is too fast. From their perspective, though, they feel like this, I am trying every day. I am stretching beyond my limits every day. Like, this is way too fast. And then the poly's orientation partner usually feels like, we haven't made any progress, <laughs> even though there has been. 
but they feel like they're being endlessly patient. You know, so both get really frustrated with each other um, and with how fast and slow it feels. Yeah. Oh, wow. And we're definitely going to get into that really soon because in the next segment, I want to talk about some of those challenges, like what we're talking about now in terms of pacing. I know there are lots more that people face when they're going from monogamy to polyamory. We're going to get into that in a couple of seconds. So stay tuned uh, for that right coming up right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. Want to learn more about relationships, sex, and health and find new ways to spice up your sex life? Check out sdc.com. We'll guide you on your erotic journey with unlimited access to videos, podcasts, and articles from experts like Dr. Jess, Sunny Megatron, Dr. Nancy, and Sex Because. Visit sdc.com to discover and connect with your own erotic tribe and explore more at SDC events, parties, and travel destinations. You'll have tons of exclusive resources to start your exploration and continue along your path to erotic self-discovery. Join over 3 million of our SDC members worldwide to seek, discover, and create with us today. Don't forget to use promo code 7070 for two months of free access to SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. You're listening to the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm here with Jessica Fern, and we are talking about the transition from monogamy to polyamory, and it can be quite an interesting one. And right before the break, we are talking about some of those challenges that people might have if they are, if one partner is a little bit more polyamorous by orientation versus polyamorous as a lifestyle. So feeling like they either have always been polyamorous inside and now they're being they're free to explore and they're excited and they want to get on board right away versus feeling like you know maybe they like certain elements of polyamory and they want to get into it um you know maybe a bit more gradually (laughs) it can create some frustration possibly between both people so what other challenges do monogamous people face when they're transitioning into a polyamorous relationship? Right. And I think, you know, some of the like more obvious ones would be challenges around having support culturally, legally, with family and friends. That can be a big challenge to step into of losing support. Um, there's a cultural stigma still around non-monogamy. It's still pretty misunderstood. Right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, and depending on where people live, like if you live in a rural area versus an urban area, like how to meet people can be a big challenge. 
Um, but some of the more sort of specific ones I see like later is how do you manage different stages of relationship that you might be in in your different partnerships simultaneously, mm. right? Like we're in, I'm in this transition to a new level with this partner. I'm in a new relationship with this partner. I'm phasing out of relationship. It's like air traffic control. Like, <laughs> you know, like how do we manage planes coming in, planes going out? Like, you know, <laughs> and so how to do that all at once can be a big challenge. Um, but some of the more, you know, deeper ones I see, or even like therapeutically I work with is there's two and, and one would be all this attachment stuff can come up. So people in monogamy, they might feel more safety and security and have more of a secure attachment style. And then they open up and that either can sort of activate a lot of insecurity or it shows them that they might have been functioning from more of an insecure attachment style that they didn't realize. So Again, and I, I know you do a lot of work with attachment, and I think it's really fascinating having, you know, I learned a little bit about that when I, when I was doing uh, my psych degree, but I think it's really um, interesting how you can be in all these different relationships with different people and have different attachment styles um, at, with each each one of them. And like you said too, adding the complication of this is an existing relationship versus a new relationship versus one that's maybe phasing out. How do you manage all of that traffic? Like you were saying, how do you even as an individual forget in your other relationships, how do you manage those? How do you within yourself manage all of those potentially conflicting emotions? Right. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes back to the skills that we were talking about, like really having the skills of being able to process your emotions, whether that's with yourself, with a therapist, with support, you know, learning how to, you know, move through those challenges so they're not building up, right? Yeah. Oh, you make it sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple verbally, but it's not easy, right? <laughs> And how do you manage that with your partners in terms of if you are um, dealing with some of these challenges internally and you're still trying to fight through all of, you know, that introspection like you were talking about, if I'm in, uh, I mean, if I'm already in a, a relationship over a long period of time and I've just opened up to that idea with my partner to become polyamorous, if you have a more secure attachment to your partner who you've been with for a very long period of time, and then you're starting to experience different kinds of relationships with different people, maybe bringing out more insecure attachment styles with other people. Um, what, how can that have an effect on your other, um, uh, your other relationship? Do, can that create an insecurity there as well? It can, right. Because what can happen is if you've been functioning in a secure place with your, you know, longstanding partner, and now they see you getting really preoccupied and anxious with somebody else, that can easily get confused for love or passion mm -hmm. <laughs> or even more desire for them when it actually is more of this attachment thing that's coming up, right? So that can be a difficult, like, wait, what is this and why, you know, and, and do I actually matter? Those sorts of things can come up, right? Or what was a secure relationship is you see someone falling in love with someone else that can bring up a lot of insecurity of, you know, switching that paradigm of, 
well, are you with me because you have to be, we got married and I'm the one, which is no longer <laughs> the paradigm that's going to work in Polly. You're not with me because I'm the best and the one. You're with me because you want to be, because I'm unique. I'm different. So if you're in more of, let's say, uh, you had started off in a more secure uh, attachment with your, I guess, primary partner, your first relationship in this, let's say, uh, I don't want to say hierarchy, but the order of operations going on here, because <laughs> there might not be a hierarchy, but yeah, I hear what, I hear what you're saying. So if, um, you know, you, you've started off as more secure and things start to maybe um, you're, you're developing uh, emotions and, 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 and sexual feelings for other individuals, could, you know, how can you balance that in terms of um, making sure that your, I guess, primary partner, the original partner in this equation? Like feeling secure. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. And I think in that sense, it's usually a lot of dialogue around what is sort of the minimum time we need together to feel like we're still in a relationship that's meaningful. I mean, I would say pose that question with all relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And the answer will be different. In one relationship, I might need daily contact. In another, you know, once a week or once a month is fine. But then really looking at in this transition, what are the attachment needs that are getting threatened? So are you feeling like, you know, our attachment needs are, we want to know that our partners are responsive, that they're available, that they're accessible, that they are attuned to us. And so as we're becoming more responsive and accessible and attuned to others, right? Okay, where do we still need to bring this back? You know, what needs to happen here so that we still feel a certain level of fulfillment on those attachment needs? Also knowing that it's not going to look like what it used to. And I think that's a huge thing. And I think uh, we're going to be talking about about that a little bit, um, you know, uh, in the next segment too, is how (laughs) to go from feeling like I don't want my relationship to change. And then the reality is it's going to change if you are deciding to venture into polyamory. What I'm hearing is your attachment styles are kind of dynamic depending on the partners that you're with, the time of, you know, your relationship, um, sorry, the phase of your relationship because you could go from being secure to feeling a little bit more insecure or preoccupied or anxious. You could be going from anxious and preoccupied to feeling more secure once you start to get on the level with your other partner. So all of this, um, all of these shifting attachment styles that are going on, um, having, uh, having the ability to in, I guess, internally have that introspection to understand that that's okay, that's normal, um, is extremely challenging. Exactly. Like, it really, the work I see that needs to happen usually is how to become a securely attached person with yourself and with the world. So it's not all dependent on partners, you know, and how do I become my own sense of safe haven? Right, my own anchor internally so that I can navigate all these things. I like that. And that's really, and that I think is a huge, hugely important thing uh, in any relationship to feel comfortable with yourself, secure with yourself and, and, and feel like your self-esteem and your self-worth does not, I guess, um, uh, rely on anybody else who's around you, whether it's your partner, your family, uh, the world. Uh, but man, talk about introspection. <laughs> right. 
Exactly. So are these kinds of challenges that occur from going from monogamy to polyamory, are they the same for people who are maybe already in an open or monogamish or swinging relationship? Or are they really mostly challenges for people who um, have only ever been with one partner forever, let's say? Yeah, I see both. I see these challenges come up with people who are becoming more non-monogamous and doing sort of more open or swinging relationships than full, I'm falling in love with people, poly. Mm -hmm. However, there's really an initiation of have you experienced your partner falling in love with somebody else? Uh. And, And that is right and to really maintain because you know sometimes people are okay with the emotion the sexual non-exclusivity because they still have that emotional primacy you know and how to maintain your value and worth internally and within the relationship when you're not the only love on the block it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a struggle. I'm curious, though, is there a gender difference in terms of people who are maybe more comfortable uh, with a la- with having their partner fall in love with someone else versus that se- just, you know, uh, sexual non-exclusivity? Have you noticed those kinds of uh, stereotypes about which partners might be more prone to having issues with their partner falling in love with someone else versus having that, uh, just having their partner have sexual relationships with other people? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so just the caveat is for anything I can say, there's always counter examples that I've experienced as well. Right. But there is certain majority things that I see. Right. Like I do see more women initiating poly than I actually see men, even though the stereotype would be that men are initiating it in a more hetero relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do see men. There's a certain struggle where I think because of the way male bodied, male gendered people are conditioned and that they struggle where sex and love become conflated. And so when their female partner goes and is having sex finally with somebody else, it's like, it's crushing. It's really crushing and challenging. And so there could have been maybe messaging, there could be emotions and feelings that started, but then once the sex act happens, it's as if love was totally taken away from them. And I I see this enough of the time. Of course I have, you know, cisgendered clients that they're fine playing and doing a lot of sexual exploration and then it is the emotional that bothers them too but this first pattern I'm talking about I see a lot huh that's very interesting yeah Yeah, I think I think it's because there's a certain they just yeah it feels like love is getting taken away from them once their female partner is having sex with someone else I definitely know of some couples who have had those experiences as well where, um, you know, there it was very, like you said, that that sense was conflated. So there was conflict there as a result of um, the, uh, the, the cis-hetero um, male feeling that way when his, uh, when his female partner did go out and start exploring on just a sexual level that he kind of um, mm-hmm. felt like it was more a, a matter of, well, she doesn't love me anymore or, you know, it's that kind of thing. And that can be really, really difficult uh, to wrap your brain around. It is. Yeah, because it's completely tied into what it means to be a man 
and we have really distorted ideas about what it means to be a man. And so it's not just the relational level that's getting the static. It's this, these cultural discourses are getting in the way. Hmm. So yeah, it's helpful to construct of what does it mean to be a man to you and how much of those are actually ideas that you want to subscribe to versus have been sort of taken for granted cultural beliefs. Hmm. And what does love mean and what does sex mean to you? So really deconstructing all those things. Hmm, interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that right after this very brief break about um, different kinds of paradigm shifts and how those play a role in navigating polyamory for the first time when you've only ever been in a monogamous relationship. So don't go away. We're going to be right back after this. Explore your lexuality on my website, lexisilver.com. For those of you who are just getting to know me, you'll be pleased to find my erotic stories and a variety of kinky sex toys on my site. If you dare to enter my playground, I'll treat you to 15% off anything you desire when you use promo code LEXISDC. That's L-E-X-I-S-D-C. And don't be shy. Come get lectual with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you. You'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as Lexi Silver. That's Lexi with an I, Silver with a Y. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Jessica Fern, and we are talking about going from monogamy to polyamory. And before the break, we were talking about some of those um, very difficult challenges that can come up uh, when you are starting to, uh, I guess, I don't want to say plunge into polyamory, because sometimes there is a process, but going from a more of a monogamous state of mind to opening up your relationship or your mind to polyamory. So 
what kind of paradigm shift has to happen when you go from monogamy to polyamory? Yeah, there's a bunch that need to happen. Because, <laughs> um, you know, the paradigm shift of monogamy includes these ideas of there's the one out there, I'm going to find the one, we complete each other, there's the only, or you're with me because I'm the best, right? And, and also even paradigm around obligation, right? Sure. So I think, like, we're together because we committed and we're Right. And, and there's benefits to that. Sometimes it keeps us pushing through or committed when it would be easy to just leave and bail. Um, but the paradigm shift is you're not with me because I'm the one. It's you're with me because you choose to be, not because you're obliged. Um, you're with me because you see me as unique and different and valuable and you want me to continue to be in your life. <laughs> That's a big difference. So it's a big difference. Um, I think it can be a very empowering and liberating difference, you know. But there's a difference that can be difficult, the paradigm of, like, when you're in that more monogamous couple, there's sort of, like, a possessiveness and an entitlement to each other's time. You know, where it's like, oh, if you're not with work or with friends, then, you know, we're together. Or we come home and it's just assumed that we'll be together tonight, you know. Or it's your birthday. Of course, you're going to be with me. (laughs) So that is something that has to shift around your time is your own time. And how to let your partner's time be their own time. So this real shift into more autonomy. And that can obviously be harder if the person is maybe more poly as lifestyle versus orientation, because maybe if they have always had that kind of orientation, um, they have always felt like maybe their time is their time and maybe have a bit of a more a difficult time sharing their time already, having that default setting that if I'm home, I'm with you. And if, you know, I'm always wanting to, um, I guess, by default, spend time with their partner. Yeah, it could be. And it could be too with the lifestyle person is because they're positioned closer to monogamy. There's still stuff about monogamy they like. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that can make it difficult to navigate together. So what other kinds of shifts have to happen? Usually the identification of what we was and what we is now. Right? Or even what love was or what family was and what it is now those can be big shifts that need to happen and maybe I would say what what I would find definitely interesting or even extra challenging is uh, the concept of uh, having metamors yes (laughs) Yes. I mean some people who have been in more of a marriage type relationship have a little bit of that with in-laws you know there's parallels there with in-laws and metamors but that's a huge shift where you're no longer just two people, even if you are a dyad and you're not like the metamorph relationship and sort of entering more into a polycular tribe, like mentality is a big shift where you have to consider more people, more time schedules, more emotions than just you and your partner. 
This is reminding me of a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Eli Sheff, and she said that um, uh, that in polyamorous relationships, the best thing is Google Calendar, and it has saved a lot of relationships. Yes, it's very true. Yeah. And some of the best things are those metamor relationships. I mean, I have a dear metamor that I'm no longer dating our partner that connected us, but we've stayed close as, as beautiful friends. And it's not just a friendship. You know, there's really something unique and special about sharing a lover with somebody and having this family-like relationship. And that's something also um, when we were talking about attachment, that, you know, there's not just the attachment to the partner that you're, or the partners that you're with, there's also attachment styles to the different metamors. Yes. Yes. And this is, I think, one of the things that can make metamor relationships extremely challenging is when you have someone that has more of a preoccupied, anxious, or disorganized style and how to enter into relationship with their partner, with them directly. Yes. It just sounds super messy, but it could it be navigable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, right? It doesn't have to be, right? Like, with all of that messy, there is opportunity for growth, for closeness, for transformation, you know, if we're doing our work, right? And if we're not, then it can feel pretty daunting and impossible at times. Are there other shifts as well that have to take place in order to um, bridge the gap, I guess, in in terms of uh, wrapping your head around going into a more polyamorous state versus having always been more um, of a monogamous person? Yeah, I think one thing I've noticed is a skill even that I've had to develop is more discernment on what I share and with who and with when. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Right? Because in monogamy, it's like, well, I'll share everything with you all the time. And then when we have other partners and there's privacy in these relationships, I can't actually, I'm not going to share everything all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Or it can become, I don't want this relationship to just be all about processing my other relationships. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And like becoming the therapy for all the conflict elsewhere. Um, so there's a shift there of like, I don't, maybe it is more pri- privacy, but I think more discernment about what we're sharing when. And that is like a certain holding of yourself in a different way. And I guess also maybe your partner's um, feeling, or maybe if you went from monogamy to polyamory, that your original monogamous partner felt entitled to have you share everything with them. And now all of a sudden, you're not sharing everything with them. Yeah. So I would, I mean, I'm making a huge assumption here, but I would assume that that could maybe lead to some kind of resentment on behalf of that original monogamous partner feeling like, oh, wow, not only am I sharing my time, but also I don't feel like the intimacy uh, is the same as it used to because I'm not the only confidant. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think in that case, then coming back to the drawing board of like, well, what are the levels and types of intimacies that we want in this relationship and making sure those are happening at the level that's desired. 
And I would say also, you know, both partners moving at, I guess, this trying to move at the same speed, even if they're maybe in different places. So what we were talking about, you know, the challenges of people who are going from more of a poly is lifestyle versus poly is orientation uh, frame of mind, uh, having, you know, maybe issues and and in in terms of the speed at which they're navigating this. So what happens if every, if each partner who is navigating all of these different paradigm shifts are doing so at, at maybe completely different speeds? How do they, I mean, what kind of potential conflicts could come up by having one partner want it to go faster and the other partner saying, slow down? (laughs) I mean, what I've seen is that some of the conflicts can even be the loss of the relationship because if the speeds are too different and people are not listening to each other or respecting hey, can we pause? I don't even mean pause uh, non-monogamy, just like together pause and process. (laughs) Um, But things can start to build up and accumulate that it can become really difficult to bridge back to each other. So it does happen, you know, or certain traumas start to arise in the relationship where there's, I thought we agreed to this and you did something else and, you know, not enough time was put into agreements or whatever was needed to move forward well. And can all of this happen even if you've always had amazing communication with your partner in a monogamous relationship? You really can, yeah. Um, One of the things that in the talk that I think you were in is I say that, you know, what we think of as perfectly healthy and functional in monogamy doesn't always fully convert and translate to what is healthy and functional in non-monogamy. <laughs> um, like the conversion of money from one currency to another, right? And so you could have had amazing communication in your monogamous relationship, but now there's all these things you've never had to communicate before. And that doesn't always translate fully. Sometimes it does. And that's great, but not, it's not a given. Oh, wow. It, uh, it's definitely probably harder if you have no real support systems, because I, I know that in especially more remote locations and remote areas, uh, there it's even hard to find people who are other people who are polyamorous, who can identify with what you're experiencing and yeah. family and friends also might not have a clue how to help you through, I guess, some of these uh, more complicated relationship issues or even understand what it is that you're going through do you find that maybe some of the people that you see and that you know uh, with their own support systems who are maybe more used to having that monogamous mentality when encountering someone who is polyamorous who is saying hey I'm having all these difficulties in my relationships um, is their default answer always just go back to monogamy (laughs) usually is usually like well you know you don't have to do this (laughs) and as I say like if someone you know comes out as not being straight and they're it's not easy to then live in the world as a non-straight person we don't tell them you know just go back to being straight it was so much easier (laughs) we know better Um, but most folks don't know better yet when it comes to non-monogamy yeah the default answer is usually just go back or you know you don't have to do this or yeah 
And I'm sure that can be especially frustrating, especially if you've always felt like this is just how you are. This is this is you. Exactly right. It becomes a denial of who you are in that case. Um, or if you're already invested in relationships, like, oh, I'm just going to drop all these people that I'm investing in. You're like, that's, yeah, what are the ethics or is the personal experiences in that? So... Oh, wow. Well, we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about how to navigate these kinds of challenges and how you can get the kind of support that you really need in these uh, different polyamorous scenarios (laughs) right when we come back from this break. So don't go away. You're listening to Seek, Discover, Create. Explore the decadent pleasures of Ibiza, our provocative new SDC getaway that fuses sumptuous relaxation with the liveliness of the island's world-renowned nightlife. Over five hedonistic nights, you'll savor the unique local flavors and spectacular views. And we're not just talking about the Mediterranean seascapes. Throughout our exclusive SDC takeover, you can indulge in the experience of being surrounded by seductive, like-minded international couples in the lifestyle. Connect with guests in our erotic play areas, clothing-optional pools, jacuzzis, and beautiful beaches, and immerse yourself in the youthful Ibiza party lifestyle with our glamorous SDC theme nights. Create memories that will last a lifetime in our latest Spanish escapade in Santa Eulalia del Rio from September 21st to the 26th. Book your rooms now at sdc.com. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive, so we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Jet Setting Jasmine, and Parrish Blair. With Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae, you won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Welcome back to STC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Jessica Fern, and we are talking about polyamory. So what advice do you have for monogamous or non-monogamous couples who are looking to venture into polyamory? What I like to do with couples in that position is really supporting you in articulating your why. Why are you doing this? And the positive aspects of the values that you're embodying through doing this, like why it's so meaningful and important, and not assuming that's the same answer for each person. So really articulating your why, because in the moments when it gets hard, if you don't have that why to lean in on, it can be even harder. Whereas like when you're feeling jealous because your partner just left, but you can return to that, oh, but this is why we're doing it so that they experience more love and support and blah, 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 whatever the why is, it can really help. So that's a big thing I would start with, as well as doing that sort of articulation of what about each other is really different and unique and not replaceable. Hmm. Yeah. And so, that, well, yeah, all the different relationships. Yeah. 
And I mean, <laughs> you have to have a ton of ability to think about your why and to take that time before maybe venturing into this. And I, I feel like that's, I mean, thinking about what your motivation is, what your desires are, what your expectations might be also going into this like what is it you hope to I guess achieve are you trying to expand as an individual are you just trying to experience different kinds of people you want to meet other people and experience deep intimate relationships with them do you just want to fuck a bunch of different people like what is your goal Right. And not judging any of it if your answers are different, but just really understanding and taking that time to put language to it. So what if each member of this dyad is not necessarily, their whys are very different and maybe mm-hmm. it, it's difficult to understand why the other individual has a certain why versus the other. How can mm-hmm. you resolve that? Usually then it's just getting down to that even deeper level of a level of values, level of needs that are being met. And then usually that bridge can be made, right? Versus just maybe the strategy to meet those needs or reach those values. Yeah. And if you are going into this with, I guess, you know, you, you come from a very monogamous background. Most of the people you know are monogamous. Most of the friends that you have, the individuals that are, you know, all around you, your colleagues, your family members are all from monogamous uh, backgrounds. How can you get that support that you really need while you're starting to venture into a deeper uh, level of relationship, I guess? Or I don't want to say deeper level because you can definitely have deep monogamous relationships, but maybe a more (laughs) complex (laughs) level. You are. We're increasing complexity by becoming non-monogamous. Absolutely. And right, I think support can come in many ways. Um, I mean, finding the groups that are closest to you, where there's meetups and there's socials for non-monogamous folks, Um, going to conferences, which are all around the country every few months, if not one a month, practically. (laughs) Um, They offer scholarships because not everyone can afford to do that. So even reaching out and, you know, getting funds to be supported in that. Um, There's lots and tons of online forums and those can be hit or miss. Um, but a lot of them are welcoming to new folks. And then, of course, I can't not say get professional support, you know, with a therapist, which is not always easy to find, who's non-monogamous aware. Um, but there's a lot of us who do long-distance work because of that reason, you know, and we do coaching across states because it's important that people have the support they need. Oh, for sure. And I think that having that support system, uh, whether it's with a professional or your, you know, that group or even friends who might be able to, you know, hear you out, even if they don't necessarily understand what it is that you're going through without judging (laughs) what you're into and uh, telling you, like we were saying before, to just go back to monogamy. No problem, right? Um, (laughs) Having that, I think, is maybe fundamental to the success of of your relationships. Yeah, and this is not going to happen in every family, but it was interesting um, when I came out and my partner and I came out, there were relatives that suddenly had stories about 
this time before then when they were in a triad and oh I did this and it was really interesting and, and on the surface they all looked um, conservative and monogamous you know but they all had these little tidbits to then tell me sort of you know at the water cooler type of conversation <laughs> <laughs> at the water cooler <laughs> you never know you can't judge a book by its cover you never know who's going to be um, into different right. alternative relationships yeah so if I would, you know, give advice to some of my listeners who have been, you know, writing me and talking to me about, you know, how they can navigate um, moving from monogamy to polyamory and their partners are not sure. So they're the ones who want to kind of instigate it. What mm -hmm. advice could I give them in terms of how to communicate to their partner what it is that they want and the kind of, um, I guess, uh, not to convince them because you can never convince someone to do what they don't want to do, but how can they maybe um, start off that conversation? Yeah, I would say first, just take it slow. Don't expect to have the whole conversation in the first time you broach the topic. Um, <laughs> like be careful about putting too much weight on the conversation initially, because some people just need to digest the ideas and oh, there's people who need to be introduced to something get angry about it and then take time to come around to it you know, just as an idea, not even that they're going to be non-monogamous. So just holding that, like take your time. Don't expect too much initially. Mm -hmm. um, and I think really being careful about not presenting it as a deficiency in the relationship. And that's why I want to do this, you know, versus what is to be, um, experience and, and really owning like this is something that I'm curious about and want to talk about and not saying that this is what's happening tomorrow so get on board or else <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can imagine that won't go down very well if that's the kind of mentality that you have so <laughs> yeah and sometimes if we're talking about couples who haven't been having you know, maybe they, you would call it a sexless marriage or the intimacy emotionally or sexually is just really dwindled in the relationship. I would actually first start with the conversation that's not about non-monogamy, but just about, hey, where are you at with this? Is this something that you miss? Is this something that we can work on together? Um, is this something that you desire in general anymore? Is this something that you just don't desire with me anymore? So really understanding what's going on first. And yeah. Sometimes that helps to then introduce, okay, well, what if we started to open the relationship? What would that mean? Oh, that's really good advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, how can people reach you after this? Because we're coming close to the end of our show, and I know that you have tons of tons more insights and professional advice that you can give. How can people reach out to you? Yeah, the easiest way is my website, jessicafern.com. People can email me there. Um, I do have a YouTube channel, which is still my old name, Jessica Cooley, um, but I have a few of my talks on there so people 
people can watch some of the presentations that I give at conferences. Those are the two main ways. Perfect. And we're going to have those links uh, in the show notes. So you're going to definitely want to check those out if you want to get in touch with Jessica. And I really appreciate your time and for being here. I know our listeners do also. Thank you so much, Lexi. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Jessica. And thank you all for listening today. Tune in Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Sexy Lifestyle Network for my next show. Stay up to date with my podcast. You can download and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And don't forget, you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and create moments at sdc.com. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on SDC Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by sdc.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.